Welcome to Divine, a plant media project podcast with your hosts, Elizabeth Sheldon and Gina Vensel. Divine is an insightful look into the world of plant medicine, exploring the changing landscape around cannabis and psychedelics and ending the stigma through educational discussions. Divine podcast does not offer medical advice nor condone any use of illegal substances. Consult your physician or therapist before making changes to your wellness plan and before trying alternative healing medicines. Today, we welcome Jerry Whiting, the president and co-founder of LeBlanc CNE Inc., a Seattle-based company specializing in hemp and cannabis genetics, product development, research, and education. Jerry is a BIPOC hemp farmer focused on vintage heirloom genetics and fiber cultivators. Jerry is a longtime cannabis activist and educator. He writes a monthly column about hemp in Northwest Leaf Magazine and is the host of the LeBlanc CME podcast, the Hemp Kite Podcast. Jerry serves as the hemp liaison to the Washington Department of Agriculture on behalf of the Cannabis Alliance. He is active with Project CBD, a proud supporter of Seattle Hemp Fest, and the Cannabis Observer. He has served on the board of the Center for the Study of Cannabis and Social Policy. We are so excited to welcome Jerry to the Vine. Well, thank you. Yes. Welcome, Jerry. We'd like to start off by hearing how our guests got started with plant medicine and would love to hear about your story and how hemp helped you and your son. So I've been involved with Cannabis Sativa L and its various forms and guises since I was a kid. Um, I'm almost 68, so we're going back to when I was 15. Um, I was, um, you know, a young hippie in Ohio. I was in the import and distribution business for many years. Um, and I moved to Ann Arbor in, let's see, 74, where cannabis was a $5 parking ticket, which was just fine by me. But by then, when I got to Ann Arbor, it was the second time I had done cannabis extractions. I had been a young knucklehead and used um, hydrocarbons in Cleveland. But then when I got to Ann Arbor, the same glass where I used alcohol, I guess what you would call RSO now. The reason um, I know so much about plant medicine, not only have I been a lifetime gardener, but my uh, sweetheart in Ann Arbor was a librarian. If I had a question, um, I had books and journals on the dinner table the next night. Um, that led to me reading things like Loidia, where Richard, Evan, Richard Evans Schultes, the Harvard ethnobotanist, uh, published. Um, and then it was all recreational for the most part, until very recently. I had three sons. The older two developed um, seizures during adolescence. And the youngest, well, the, the middle son, the younger of the two, approached me at lunch, helping, uh, wanting, seeking help transitioning from big pharma to cannabis. While I didn't know a lot about it then, um, an old friend, Martin Lee, head of Project CBD, was once again staying with our family during HempFest. Marty stayed for six days. By the end of six days, I knew CBD and medical marijuana like nobody's business. The first thing was finding plants. At that point, about one in 500 plants um, tested over 4% CBD. So my quest initially was isolating and growing those mutants. Um, and then in terms of making medicine, I've already done it twice before. Um, and um, uh, the company's name, LeBlanc, is my last name, Whiting, in French. And so Coleman and I set out on this, this journey. Um, he ended up being an extractor, running a couple of Eden CO2 machines. He was an absolutely terrible grower. That was my, my domain. And um, <clears throat> we were, dare I say, uh, instrumental in helping to spread medical marijuana here in um, Washington State um, for several years. Unfortunately, Coleman died during a seizure five years ago, May, which only uh, strengthened my resolve to continue working with cannabis. And three years ago, um, I began to transition to hemp. Uh, it had CBD, but it didn't come with the penalty of going to prison for our favorite mm -hmm. plant. And so while I, I still make traditional Moroccan-style hashish in the legal market here, um, but really, most of what I do is hemp, either 
um, for CBD uh, and other cannabinoids, or I have a farm in New Mexico where a friend and I are growing hemp for fiber. Jonas is a paper maker, and I want to do graphene and biocomposites, uh, colloquially called hemp batteries and hemp plastic. And um, yeah, so I had a software company I founded years ago, uh, sold it. Brandon and I sold it two years ago that allowed me to um, transition to being a full-time hemp person. And um, that's what I do. You know, I, I do a bunch of stuff. So we talk about the legalities there with hemp. And we know that, you know, with the farm bill passing that, you know, we are legally able to grow it. But why does hemp matter? Can you talk to us a little bit about why the, the hemp side of the cannabis plant is so important? And I just want to, you know, if you could also talk to us about what being a black man in the industry has meant for being a hemp farmer. Well, those two are related. So um, <clears throat> why hemp matters? Hemp is, so a little bit of background. Cannabis sativa L includes um, three types of plants, um, type one, type two, type three. Type one plants are the drug cultivars that are THC centric. Type three plants have very little uh, THC and um often a whole lot of CBD, and type 2 plants are often one-to-one between THC and CBD. So the Farm Bill, um, thank you, Mitch McConnell, the only thing I'll ever thank him for, the Farm Bill of 2018 removed hemp from and CBD from the Schedule 1 list. It hasn't been further uh, defined in terms of food additives and pet stuff, et cetera, et cetera, but you won't go to prison. So the legal definition of industrial hemp in the U.S., cannabis sativa L with less than 0.3% THC. Um, It it still makes good medicine. Uh, I think that at 0.3% THC, industrial hemp has too little to evoke a full entourage effect. That is the synergetic interaction of all the cannabinoids and terpenes. So it's a, it's a, a glass ceiling, if you will, or a grass ceiling um, that limits um, what is legally um, available. But the good news is not only do people not go to prison, with the late entry of uh, Idaho, you can grow hemp in all 50 states. You can sell hemp across state lines and internationally, which is way different than legal pot. Mm -hmm. So um, while I still have involvement with our favorite type one drug cultivars. Um, my real focus is on legal hemp in an effort to stay out of prison. Um, and the freedom to distribute what I grow and make anywhere I want. Um, so yeah, I self-identify as African-American and there are very few people of color in the hemp world. Um, it's sort of like the software world, when I first started 30-some years ago, um, it is changing. It, But, you know, so it's easier in hemp for people of color and women and other disadvantaged communities because you need less money and way less regulation to enter the hemp market compared to the cannabis market. And um, a lot of people... Uh, a lot of people of color, a lot of uh, indigenous people, uh, First Nation, own land. And the best part is that departments of agriculture, which which set the rules and regulations for hemp, want their farmers to succeed and prosper. And so your government representative is on your side. At least here in Washington, Liquor and Cannabis Board, on a good day, is adversarial. And, um, you, you know, there's, there are all these programs around social equity, um, allowing participation from everyone in the legal cannabis market. If you've got, you know, a thousand bucks for a license and a, and a place to plant it, you can grow hemp with minimal interference and minimal handicaps in, in terms of systemic obstacles in your way. Do you think that when the hemp bill was first, you know, created that all of these other isolated cannabinoids were even considered like now that, you know, Delta eights on the market and CBG and all these other things, was it just to keep THC out of the market and to keep it, you know, illegal in that way? Because well, the first hemp, the, the first farm bill is 2014, the, the re- experimental research one. 
superseded by 2018, which opened the door much wider. Um, you know, still, when I look at all of this stuff, both at the federal level with the farm bill and each state's implementation to set up cultivation, it's still CBD centric. And there is a, um, so historically it was food, fuel, and fiber, the rallying cry for hemp. Charlotte Figgy, Sanjay Gupta, um, Charlotte's Web <clears throat> changed all that and made CBD, not just any cannabinoid, but specifically CBD, the focus. Um, it's unfortunate because farmers are going to find as they transition from CBD um, crops to fiber and especially food, the rules and regs, for instance, you cut the flower off the plant, Department of Ag does a, an inspection pre-harvest. They take samples to make sure it's under 0.3 and legally hemp. The problem is um, if you're growing um, hemp for food, for the seeds, for the oil, you need male and female plants to make seeds, obviously. And um, part of it is pollen drift between hemp fields um, for food and hemp fields for medicine. Um, if there's a cannabis farm next door, they definitely don't want the wind to blow that pollen into their field. And the whole idea of testing for cannabinoids 15 to 30 days before your harvest date um, sort of makes sense if you think that THC is evil in the boogeyman. Um, it's really um, not appropriate when you're growing a seed crop. Who cares if it has THC in the flower? That isn't your goal. Your goal is the seeds and the flowers make the seeds. And we know that there's no CBD or THC in hemp seeds. So um, we aren't done yet. These people aren't going to prison. At least farmers who never considered cannabis as a potential crop are making the shift. It's an immature and embryonic market that has yet to reach any kind of balance. But I know that people are... There were fewer hemp licenses issued across the country this year compared to last year. And that people are realizing that there's more to the plant than medicine and people are growing fiber and even looking at food. So I, I think that, you know, three to five years down, it's going to be a very, very, very different landscape. Um, but, you know, it's a lot of fun. It's sometimes profitable. It's a pain in the butt to stay under 0 0.3. But um, there are a lot of reasons why hemp is the new thing. Sequestering carbon, <clears throat> the reduced need for um, both fertilizer and pesticides, um, and um, less water if you do it right. But there's also this issue of moving away from um, petrochemicals into biofuels, uh, petroleum-based plastics into biocomposites that use hemp and other plant materials. Um, there's a whole host of reasons why hemp, hemp, hemp is the rallying cry for the next millennium. Can you imagine a better you? Empathic Health is a global community providing support so you can find more fun, freedom, and connection in your life. Empathic Health is my integration solution for incorporating my healing work into my daily routine. Empathic Health has given me a space to use my voice to express my thoughts and be myself in a safe place. I'm excited to get to the type of work that gives my life more clarity and joy. Helping others has done nothing but help me in return. Know your medicine, know yourself. Join Elizabeth, myself, and the rest of the community today at empathic.health. So as a citizen scientist. Yes. Yeah. And uh, everything that you've learned about cannabinoids, what is your favorite right now and why? THC. <laughs> okay, so always my favorite. Too. I want you to say CBG. I well, want to learn about CBG. Oh, CBG. So <laughs> I grow plants and I make um, things like tincture and topicals and other products. Um, and that was what brought me into this with Coleman. And what is my focus in terms of cannabinoids from cannabis and hemp now? Um, <clears throat> I don't, I don't make THC-based medicine because, A, that deals with the legal market, and it's a drag here in Washington, and it's only 
um, I would only be able to serve people in Washington state because right. interstate transport of cannabis products is still illegal. So um, I like CBD. Um, it's non-intoxicating. It does a host of things in terms of tweaking your endocannabinoid system and making people well, not stoned. Um, there are other cannabinoids. There are about 100 cannabinoids and almost 200 terpenes and, um, and other compounds. And um, CBG, CBGA and CBG are um, a big deal that haven't received a lot of attention of late. And so cannabigerol is the primary cannabinoid made by the plant. And from that, there are um, synthases that create THC and CBN and all of those things, or CBD, <clears throat> um, or the terpenes. So um, there are cultivars that are high in CBG and lack the synthase to make any amount of THC. These are, some would say they're mutants, but they're outliers. Um, just as there are plants that make CBD and no THC. Now, Milky Way cultivar that Partner Farm grew last year makes CBG, cannabigerol, as well as CBD, no variety of THC and no terpenes because um, it lacks the synthase to make terpenes or THC. Um, CBG is interesting. Most people have not had experience with it. I was lucky to, boy, four or five years ago, um, in the form of Ghost Train Haze, that um, uh, a friend of mine in the in the now extinct medical marijuana market grew, and it had about 1.25% CBG. It was outer space land. I thought it was great. And, and I used it to make um, hashish 50-50 with Harlequin, my favorite medical cultivar. So um, when hemp became a big deal, you can find cultivars that are high not only in CBD, but CBG. Um, um, I'm looking for a moment CBC. Um, but, but you get the terpenes. It smells and tastes just like pot. And in fact, it presents a real conundrum for law enforcement when they stop you in the car and you've got 100 pounds of flour that for all intents and purposes looks like, smells like, and if heaven forbid the officer smokes it, it tastes like reefer, but it isn't. It's under 0.3 THC. So um, I love CBG. Um, I'm, I've, I've worked with it as, a, as an ingredient with things until this season um i anecdotally i my my posse has told me that this is like the magic bullet and so with this year's harvest of a second cultivar the first last last year was milky way this year is the white but not the one you know of. and so i can make um i have pre-rolls that are cbg dominant with a touch of cbd full terpenes it tastes great um I just turned blend two over to our partner who does the pre-rolls. And, um, um, but there are other things in hemp and cannabis that attract me as well. For example, if you ask 99 or hundred people, 99 are going to say that, oh yeah, it's all about the flower. Mm, not really. So there are completely different compounds in cannabis and hemp roots. Um, especially a couple of triterpenoids, um, Phrytalin and uh, epiphrytalin, which um, I use in my topical because these compounds are wonderful for um, as a poultice. It was used by the Chinese and the Romans. They didn't have long distance, let alone Wikipedia. So they discovered this independently and they couldn't all be wrong. And so um, uh, cannabinoids, yes. Terpenes are just as like eighty percent as important as the as the cannabinoids. Um, I do not have a favorite terpene per se. Um, and then, and what is CBG used? I mean, what is it medicinally used for? Is there some particular ailment or anxiety, stress, sleep issues? Um, topically used for um, um, things like eczema. Um, it um, 
has a very calming effect. Um, it I always tell people um, after six, uh, chillax. Your sleep will be easier. Your dreams will be wonderful. With CBG. CBG. Good. Yeah. Um, it's um, so so a, a dear friend of mine, David Tran, ha- hosted a 420 golf tournament this year. Um, uh, it was obviously outdoors. And um, the golf course was compassionate enough to allow consumption. I put a dube tube with two pre-rolls, CBD-centric, in all of the goodie bags. There were 160 of them. People came, this is the industry. These are like, you know, people who work in the biz. People came back to me like, what in the hell was that? Him, I had low expectations. And uh, my dear friend, uh, Aaron Varney, came back and said, Historically, I've used pain relief as the yardstick to measure medicinal cannabis. That isn't what's going on here. And I was laughing. He's an old friend of mine. And it's like, no, I tell people that CBG is, exposes you to a different part of the cannabis sativa L palette. You think you know what the expression is until you start playing with some of these other cannabinoids and other compounds. And um, I had worked with CBG. I even met the breeder for Ghost Train Hayes at a, at a Canacon in Detroit. And I walked up and said, hey, man, I know this stuff. What do you mean? 1.25% CBG. Yeah, you, you've done it. Um, so the other thing. So while everyone focuses on what Project CBD calls the power couple, THC and CBD, that ignores the fact that there's approximately another 100 cannabinoids out there. Um, for instance, THCV is um, rumored to be good for uh, sugar issues, uh, weight loss, appetite control, diabetes. I had a chance to, and often South African, <clears throat> there are some cultivars out of California. A dear friend of mine um, grew some and gave me a bunch of bubble hash from it. It did not work for me. It was the most unpleasant cannabis experience I've ever had. Teeth grinding. Then again, I'm not diabetic and I don't have sugar issues and I don't have weight issues other than losing weight and weighing too little. Um, There are um, others to be explored. The issue is um, how much is in a given plant. The good news is some of these compounds we find in cannabis are bioactive at incredibly low amounts. Um, And so it doesn't take a whole lot to tip it in one direction or the other. The same with the Terps. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff left to be discovered and utilized, which gives me a reason to go to bed every morning. So, <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I want to learn more about your company, LeBlanc, and you know this unique workflow that you have of processing the hemp products. And you can dive oh, in a little bit about what you're doing. I'm yeah. a hippie. I'm a deadhead. <laughs> so, I've been vegetarian since 71. So, so is Gina. <laughs> So everybody wants to use isolate and distillate. They want to take out everything except one or two compounds, usually CBD. The plant cannabis offers this incredible cocktail of various um, ratios of all of these compounds. And so Dr. Ethan Russo in 71 published a paper that um, um, proselytized the entourage effect, the synergetic action of all of these things acting together. For example, in the presence of, uh, I mentioned that hemp has too little THC. Ethan says that um, the, the presence of some THC makes the finite amount of CBD two and a half to three times more effective. And so that's why I say that we're limited by this 0.3% THC thing. And I quickly add, that is a legal construct. It has nothing to do with the botany of the plant. And for example, I have a cultivar, a Chinese cultivar, that I've had genetically sequenced at Phylos Bioscience. Uh, it's called Sizzle the Engine, named after my son. That was his nom de guerre doing hip hop. Um, Sizzle comes out in the yellow portion of the galaxy at Phylos website. It is definitely hemp. It has... Um, it's a type two plant. It has equal amounts of THC and CBD. In fact, it has a little bit more THC. Um, but botanically it's hemp legally it's pot. 
Go figure. At some point, we'll, you know, politicians will pull their head out of their rectums and uh, legalize the whole thing and knock off this go to prison because it has THC um, and allow it to become, allow it to take its rightful place as yet another crop that a farmer can grow. There's nothing magic about it. Well, there is, but there's nothing illegal about it inherently, and it's definitely not evil. Do you think that once, you know, America becomes a legal nation that you may change and also grow the full profile of THC as well? Or do you think that you want to stay in hemp and that this is, is really the side of the plant that you enjoy most? All of the above. Okay. Um, I, I like the whole plant. Um, I So I, I mentioned in, oh, I share a birthday with someone here. In December, I turned 68. <laughs> I got out of high school in 72. My goal is to re-smoke my myth, misspent youth. And so <clears throat> I could go over and pick up jars right now. I've got Maui Wowie and ATF and, you know, I've grown Thai stick and all that. These modern cultivars, ugh, um, <laughs> do it for me. I really want to, because... The land races are the land races, the vintage heirlooms that were geospecific, you know, the Kushes from the Himalayas, the, um, I mentioned, uh, THCV comes from South Africa um, and, um, uh, Mali. So, so there are, there are, well, Durban poison. Yeah, you can grow it anywhere, but it really came from, you know, South Africa. I love what I did or what I smoked in the 70s and early 80s. And so, you know, so an old friend of mine just gave me, gifted me a, a whole mess of uh, Colombian uh, seeds. Um, and in fact, I have a friend, I'm, um, <clears throat> he was a breeder, and he wants to add purple to some of the things he breeds. Now, the Propensity I'm going to, to ask you about that. So to tell us more about the purple. Well, I mean, <laughs> say that, that Jim has, um, he has like great cultivars, including when I first met him, he gave me, um, I talked about looking for film canisters for my fellow boomers. And his response was, we did two popped, both girls. Would you like to get high like we did in high school? And I looked at him like, who in the hell are you? <clears throat> well, he pulled a full pipe out of his pocket Took a couple of hits, 1,001, 1,002, 1,003. Jim, I'm in 11th grade again. <laughs> and it, it was only like 16, 17% THC, which is low by today's standards, but it was the terpenes and other compounds. Yes. As I said, I had it genetically sequenced, and it really is the 72 pheno of Colombian gold. Wow. It's, um, <laughs> and people, I, so I took it home to Ohio. This is probably a... a you know, uh, family-friendly podcast. People, <laughs> my homies from high school that used to smoke that with me went absolutely batshit crazy. Man, where'd you get this? Because you open the bag and it's like, you haven't smelled that for 35 years, maybe 40 years. Um, it is different. Um, it imparts a different experience. And there is talk that many of the modern cultivars all trace their roots back to four males, which means they have way too much in common compared to what the whole spectrum um, could be in the modern market. So boomers, you know, my peers, when they come smoke with me, they go back to their youth. You know? <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. You no, know, and the same thing with hash. You know, I, I, I make hash. And no, I don't do it like Frenchie Cannoli did. Um, I'd make Moroccan-style um Dry sift keef, pressed keef. Um, I Otto, a friend of mine who came over for dinner, was almost in tears when I pulled it out. Um, he hadn't seen it since he was home in Morocco. Um, and you know, I get uh, I now I'm ignoring them. I have a YouTube video where all these punk ass kids are yeah, bubble hash. Yeah, I know what bubble hash is. Some of the terpenes are water soluble, and there's you know it, there's nothing about full melt with charis from India or you know, press keep in the Middle East. That's a modern concept, um, which is all well and good, but it's not something I want to consume. I'm, and there's two other processors in legal market here in Washington who do the same type of hashish. And we were at a trade event 
And I, there's a picture of the three of us. And I turned to the two of them and said, promise me you two will continue to keep this alive. I'm old. I'll quit or die before you. But it's what I call cannabis cultural anthropology, where, you know, um, Charis that hand rub stuff from India. Um, look at the Strain Hunters videos or on the LeBlanc CNE site. Um, I have a page on hashish and I'm talking with DJ Short and he, we're, he's going back and forth about, you know, because he too loves hash. Many of the old guys do, you know, I mean, uh, I know DJ and I love smoking hash together. Jorge Cervantes, the same thing, you know, I mean, shoot, man, we're old. We, you know, yeah, yeah, dab this, bubble hash that. Yeah, yeah. But no, there's a reason it was passed on among generations. Um, for example, chemical trivia. In Morocco, you would harvest your farm. Food comes first. You, to make room in the drying shed, you would throw the plants on the roof. And, and the weather turned cold, which was better, more conducive to, to shaking the trichomes off. They became brittle, being fluid-filled. The issue is that the ultraviolet light being exposed to the sun changed the chemistry and made another compound. And so it's different. And you're not going to get that with bubble hash. You just aren't, you know. Plus, you meet some some elder and you've totally won points. Your street cred grows up. <laughs> you know, I mean, it does. Shit. Do you think that these modern cultivars are really growing just for the THC content? And not really well, there's a thing. So... <clears throat> So let's go back to the 70s and 80s. There were people backpacking, you know, the hippie trail through uh, the Middle East and India and the Himalayas. They came home with seeds. They grew those. If you didn't get stoned, it was deemed a failure and they threw them out. So over time, the domestic, that is the American gene pool, became THC centric. No one appreciated CBD or these other compounds. Um, and even if it wasn't strongly because the plant in its native form often reverts back to one-to-one -one, mixed cbd and thc all hippies wanted was to get stoned and so they went for these high thc seeds and then began to breed up from there so you have a difference between the contemporary stuff and the heirlooms that have been grown for millennia you know for hundreds and hundreds of years um there was a reason they kept those seeds around you know they did something that worked for them. I like that. I'm, you know, yeah, Jamaican. I mean, I've, so back in the medical days, you could grow. And Washington is the only state that doesn't allow adult home grow. Not that everyone believes that or practices that, but I, I gravitate towards that old school stuff. Back in the medical days, I grew Thai stick, Maui Wowie, Jamaican, I lose track. I wish I had saved. I thought it would last forever, but it was totally different than what you buy today. Um, you know, Panama red, Panama black, just all this wonderful stuff, man, just takes me back. Anyway. So can you just go back on the color purple? Because you explained to me um, sort of to the side when we had a conversation that purple brings something that is so um, medicinal in any plant where you have purple, correct? Yeah. Hold on a sec. Let me... And I feel like it's the same with like salad, right? Like when you're about to eat lettuce, the purple lettuce mm. is that that has the most nutrients in it. Right. So these are flowers that I picked an hour and a half ago that are strongly purple. Here's the deal. People think if you, um, if you cool your plants when they're flowering, even things like putting ice on the soil, that they'll turn purple. Um, in reality, the um, plants are either are or aren't genetically predisposed to changing color during flower. Purple being the most popular one. I saw someone's photos today where one of them was um, pink. Those are those changes are because of the presence of a flavonoid called anthocyanin. The same reason nowadays you see bunches of carrots, not just orange, but yellow and purple and red and everything in between. So um, flavonoids are bioactive as well. I grew a crop. I'm sponsored by a company who I love dearly. Um, Seeds here now, James Bean, dear friend, supplies LeBlanc with, with genetics. 
Um, Patch Adams was a um, ACDC and something else cross that was strongly purple. I saved those flowers and made a special batch of tincture. My long-term chronically ill patients reported that it wasn't the amount of CBD that made that batch so special. Um, and I kind of, oh, it, I, I like to say that Patch Adams was so purple, it made eggplant look pale. And then mm -hmm. when it dried, it had this um, violet gray color that we nicknamed graphite. Um, as I said, so I treat, because of Coleman and, and um, our entry into the market, um, families who have children with seizures and autism know and come looking for that. And um, then adults with cancer, uh, end of life stuff um, also. So those folks um, responded favorably to tincture made with hemp plants that were purple. Um, I, why? Why? Um, because so I, my November column in Northwest Leaf um, talks about this, and I'm going to expand upon that, or I am expanding upon that, writing a paper that will be up on academia.edu. The, so the idea is, uh, to date, we've all been focused on cannabinoids and terpenes, though we know that there's a lot of other things going on in the plant. Um, I mentioned that the combination of cannabinoids and terpenes is responsible for the entourage effect. I want to expand that to say that flavonoids like anthocyanin need to be included in any analysis of the entourage effect. And the hemp crop um, that I grew this year, or one of the crops, some of the plants were purple, some were not. And so I saved the seeds from the two of them. And next year I will do an AB test plot and make tincture with both of them find a lab that tests for um, these flavonoids and do the A-B test. But again, anecdotally, um, overwhelmingly people responded positively to Patch Adams to the point where this year, when I harvested at our partner farm, Hunter Reich out in Eatonville in the shadow of Mount Rainier, I pull, set aside the best purple flowers, froze them, fresh frozen, and someone is pressing rosin and decarbing it for me. And I will make an uber purple batch um, because, because it is fresh frozen and rosin was pressed, it will preserve the monoterpenes as well as the heavier ones. The lighter, more volatile um, monoterpenes usually evaporate away during drying and curing. By pressing rosin from fresh flour, I hope to preserve the bulk of those. But yeah, I'm... I'm diving deep into um, not just all flavonoids, but specifically um, anthocyanin. It's the thing responsible for fall leaves in Vermont. It's, uh, it colors foods. Um, and and, and I'm, I trust my patient's feedback. Let's put yeah. it that way. Yeah. Well, I've just been so impressed with you talking about, you know, over the decades, all that you've learned and just curious if you have, you know, any advice to share for maybe folks that are just trying to get into the industry or maybe they want to be cultivars and they don't know where to start. So any advice maybe you could give to our listeners that are interested in this and hope to someday be a hemp farmer themselves? So um, I have a website, leblancini.com and, um, and then the Hemp Kite with my podcast pal, Pam West. Um, my first piece of advice is ignore the interweb. <laughs> so much misinformation out there. That's right. For example, folks, take notes. This will be on the final exam. It goes towards <laughs> your grade. Decarbing, that is um, changing the acid form like THCA to THC. It is not 170 degrees for 20 minutes in the oven. That is completely wrong. Um, it's more like in a covered glass container um, 45 minutes for maximum CBD, THC conversion and, and an hour, hour and a half for CBD um, at 240 degrees. It is completely different. And I know this because the GW Pharmaceutical Patent had an appendix that tested 
um, both time and temperature. And there's a sweet spot. It is nowhere near 20 minutes at 170 degrees. But once that got passed around, it's hard to put that misinformation aside. Um, and and so, yeah, you know, there there is, first of all, the first place everyone should start is the Project CBD website, mostly because Martin A. Lee, the author of um, Smoke Signals, The Social History of Marijuana in America, knows what he's talking about. But the Project CBD site is science-based. There are links to research articles. There are people who write for it, who know what they're doing. And um, it is the place to start. With Project CBD um, in your back pocket, you can then look elsewhere and tell if it's real or not. But there is a lot of hearsay, to be polite, um, on the interweb that leads people astray. And um, again, it's the whole plant. So you'd ask about my workflow. Um, I'm a, I've been gardening since I was in second grade and in composting as well. And so um, organic, organic, organic for all of the reasons we know that it's the right way to go, both for your body and for the planet. Um, the whole plant or what's sometimes called full spectrum, I don't leave anything out except the chlorophyll. Nothing I make is green, um, but you want everything. Even if we don't know what it does yet, um, we know that the plant is very, very special. And um, workflow. So uh, the motto is, in our company, I only use ingredients I would serve my own mother at the Thanksgiving dinner table. <laughs> I like that. There's no isopropyl alcohol in my gravy or <laughs> in my, my dressing. So um, people, so no, I don't give away everything. But um, I will say this, the tincture we make is made with um, whole plant, organically grown hemp and organic kosher vegetable glycerin. That's it. I do a cold infusion from new moon to full moon to take advantage of that energetic tide. And um, uh, the topical oil is both flower and root in grapeseed oil and... Um, Lavender for the linalool, and uh, what else do I put in there? That's pretty much it. Um, I do other things too, like I have a turmeric bitters that is based on it's on top of a dandelion burdock tonic and um, turmeric root, along with black pepper and ginger to accentuate the curamin in the uh, turmeric, and then mineola tangerine, which is also a bittering agent for the color as well, and it's um a way to stimulate your autoimmune system and people with irritable bowel syndrome or Crohn's uh, increases bile production. And a lot of these things started out as friends and family and stocking stuffers and word got out. And I always, for the turmeric bitters, it was like, you know, literally family and friends word got out. And I, until last year would run out before the mineola tangerines came in season again. And I've had to like double the recipe every year. Um, but yeah, the other thing is I only use glass and stainless steel. They're non-reactive. Um, I really do stuff on the new moon cycle. I'm not a full alchemist, but, you know, um, it, again, my patients told, I thought they were going to laugh at me. They, they all, they, they nod their head. No one's ever said a bad thing about it. And I made the switch and patients agreed. It worked better. And if it's 3% better, that means that, you know, it's an improvement over what their life would be without it. That's right. No doubt. So where the can... one is, I used to practice acupuncture in Boston and, um, and worked in two teaching hospitals uh, when I was in school, either uh, University of Michigan and Boston University. And I see patients. Not, I don't have customers. I also um, have gone to a number of hospitals in town. Um, with when my patients do, especially the kids who go to Seattle Children's Hospital um, with one little girl who I worked with for three and a half, almost four years. Um, I had the uh, caregiver lanyard and I could come and go. Forest four and forest five, the neuro floors, they knew exactly who I was. They knew what I did. Um, they would ask questions and, and watch in amazement. You know, it's like, yeah. So, so, 
everything I do is patient centric and um, I do it with intention um, in that uh, full disclosure. I'm a practicing Buddhist, Vajrayana, Galak lineage, and I've taken a bunch of vows and empowerments. And so my whole thing is ending the pain and suffering of all sentient beings. Yes, I would give medicine to Donald Trump. He would get a lecture. <laughs> me, he'd, I'd start all over again. He could get as flustered as he wants, but unless he heard me out, I'm not handing over shit to him. But I would never, you know, I would never say no because we're more alike than dissimilar. And as the Dalai Lama says, at one point we were all, you know, someone else's mother. And, mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah, so at some point I nursed Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> so where can our, our listeners purchase your products? Can you give us your website one more time so they know oh, where to find so you and connect with you? CNE, I'll explain why the, why the name. LeBlanc, L-E-B-A, no, excuse me, L-E-B-L-A-N-C is whiting in French. C-N-E stands for Cannabis Négociant Eleveur. First of all, I'm a Francophile, but um, when I looked around, the only, when I looked around in the medical days, um, everyone went to work, did their thing, and went home again. No one went from place to place and did that networking thing. So I'm a grower broker. So um, just like Two Buck Chuck at Trader Joe's or Mickey's Wide Mouth, there's, or Trader Joe's itself, they don't have factories. They buy, they, they do OEM white label stuff with other companies. And so um, um, I'm a cannabis grower broker. Um, and um, so LeBlancCNE.com is our company site. And um, Pam and I have a site we're building up called The Hemp Kite. And... Um, the one thing that is one section that's almost done, um, my childhood friend Jonas Thaler and I are growing fiber in New Mexico. He's a paper maker, and I'm providing hemp for him to make paper with. And so at Pam's suggestion, we did episodic videos, um, and we're about to wrap up season one. Um, and it, you know, it, everything from us talking about doing it, you can watch us plant it. You can watch awesome. us clean up after it. You can watch episode nine and where I fall on the sword and confess to the mistakes I made. Um, but yeah, you know, um, and then I, you know, I, this is one podcast. I've been on other folks' podcasts and panels and whatnot. No longer face-to-face -face in the last two years. Yeah, right. Online stuff. But yeah, I mean, Hemp Fest, the third weekend in August here in Seattle, it's like it would be year 30. The last two years have been online, mm -hmm. but I've been a speaker at HempFest for almost 10 years. Whoa. Panacon, um, <laughs> a bunch of other places. Um, but yeah, the one thing I would tell people, if you're interested in hemp, as you mentioned, I've written a column, um, a monthly column in Northwest Leaf. I just started my fourth year. I always encourage people to start at October 2018 and read forward. Why? because I'm telling a story and it, while the, I like to think that the columns stand alone, they really hang together because you, you imagine in the last three years, the industry has changed dramatically. And so, um, um, and it's funny cause I, I don't, I don't think anyone, you know, no one writes letters to the editor anymore cause it's all digital, but, um, I'm always flattered when, friends or strangers say, hey, about that column you wrote. Oh, the most popular one was called Pack It Up. And I talked about, um, people talk about hemp paper. Oh, hemp toilet paper. No, dude, that's not what we're talking about. But I talk about, I throw down a challenge here in Seattle to Jeff Bezos and say, you could jumpstart a hemp cardboard industry as a roundoff error. Hell, for the amount of money you spent flying in space or whatever. Right? Exactly. We all think that. Yeah. Yeah. A petition to not have him come back. Um, mm -hmm. so, so Jeff, 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 you could jumpstart the hemp cardboard industry. It would be a round off error. You would not miss the money. You might actually spend less time in purgatory if you did mm -hmm. something to cover up all of your sins. <laughs> but um, that was a column where people came up to me and said, oh, man, it struck a nerve. And I set aside hemp TP in the first couple paragraphs. Mm -hmm. uh, but, no, there's uh, 
I like to think that they're, I like to think after I'm gone that people will look back at this column um, and, and use it as a, um, a journal, if you will, of, of at least my perspective on where the industry is, where it should go. And, and, you know, yeah, and I try to, you know, I've, I've never, this is true. I've never, I did reference Project CBD, but it's, I don't interview people. It's my, it's my thing. And I would like to think Wes Abney and the rest of the crew at um, Northwest Leaf, I've done their podcast three times, um, Leaf Nation. Um, they've never taken a red pencil um, to anything I write. They did at one point ask me not to dumb it down, but to say, this is a cannabis publication and most people aren't here for hemp. We're totally behind you. It was our idea, but you have to understand that it's uh, more mainstream mass market than this conversation, for example. Our time is, is coming to an end, unfortunately. Can okay. we have you back to talk some more? Maybe. Yes, I would love and to. When, oh, and I want to meet you in person. So when you come out yeah. to the East Coast, or maybe we can come out to Hempfest when it's in person in Seattle. I've never Where been here. I'd love to be there. I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Oh. Um, but I, I, I visit Elizabeth quite often in Bethesda area. And I'm so I make my trip down there quite a bit. But, you know, we are here on the East Coast. So hopefully we'll oh, be yeah. able to meet you. And with our, you know, I'm still in a medical state. Elizabeth is still in a medical state. So because of how expensive our programs are, a lot of people come to us looking for alternatives. And I really think that what you said with, with hemp, it really can be a way for people to have more access to the plant, right. um, be able to have it more affordably for them without like a very expensive medical program. And also from the cultivar perspective, be able to get involved with less of a threshold. We know it's very, very expensive. In Pennsylvania, we don't have very many medical licenses at all. So I mean, I until know. we get, yeah. you know, into an adult use market, you know, we're not sure, it, you know, even when that happens, how many micro license or, or license that, you know, us, you know, non-rich, big multi-state operator folks, well, we have a play in the game. So I just appreciate what you've said so much about, you know, how if you if you have the land and if you have the will, that cannabis can definitely be a part of your life. If you're interested in hemp, that there's definitely you know, folks in this industry that can help you and support you and help you meet the right folks. So we definitely want to have you on again. We appreciate talking with you so much, Jerry. So it's been smart. a delight getting to meet you. And I just love hearing everything from the perspective of you being involved in this so long. Because so many people we meet, you know, are very new to the industry and are really excited about the industry, but don't really talk about all of the things that that may have gone wrong and what we can learn from, you know, the history <laughs> of it. So I appreciate you bringing that up so, so much. So the way I live here and grow medicine here, um, fiber in New Mexico, I do have a presence in my hometown of Cleveland, speaking of a football oh. white um, I have a fabricator who made a hemp harvest machine for me, the manufacturer's rep, um, and other things going on. I will be in the district uh, tomorrow, actually, in 24 right. hours. Oh, all right. Okay. Well, maybe no, we'll see each other I, sooner than later. You never for know. Sure. You never yeah. know. And yeah. we'll make sure that we link to your Northwest Leaf article so that that'll be in our, our podcast blog. And we'll make well, sure that you. we connect everyone to your company. You're doing some really great work, growing some really fabulous hemp that's healing and helping so many. So thank you so much. I want to thank all of our listeners today for tuning in to another episode of The Vine, a plant Media Project Podcast. Thank you to Jerry Whiting for joining us on today's show. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to never miss an episode. For cannabis and psychedelic news, visit us online at plantmediaproject.com. Together, we can end the stigma around plant medicine. 